0: Uh, hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, talking success. We are going on a different route today. Um, we are going to talk about the hugely, hugely exciting world of anti money laundering. Um, uh, hold on to your seats, everyone. Uh, we're going to try and make this as fun as possible. Um, I, uh, I'm joined by, by Mr. Bradley Elliot, who is the CEO and founder of Rely Comply. And we, we, we've known each other for a little while. And um, I, I, I do. Sort of uh, take the Mickey out of him a little bit for being in the most exciting world of uh, AML and how uh, riveting his uh, his meetings must be. So I said, right, well, I'm going to get you on the on, on the podcast, and I'm going to try and um, be serious for once and talk about you know the real serious side of anti money laundering um, because obviously it's very topical. Uh, anyone that's followed the news over the last uh, sort of few months or so will know that unfortunately South Africa has been grey listed, um, and that has a, a whole sort a whole of different sort of connotations and requirements that need to need to be done in order to transact uh, internationally and uh, rely comply under Brad's leadership uh, play play a crucial role in that. So. I am probably going to take the mickey out of him a few times, um, but we are going to cover some serious things, I promise. So, Brad, listen, great to have you on board. Um, Thanks so much for joining. Um, Now I've given you such a warm intro, I I kind of expect you to kind of follow me a little bit as well. (laughs) Um, Enlighten us with some humour, right? Um, So... A bit about you go on i'll, I'll let you speak for cool some. yeah, yeah. Well, well thanks for having me darren and um
1: yeah anti-money laundering is actually probably quite a bit quite, quite fun i think anti-money laundering compliance on the other hand is, is probably not as not as fun um but i mean this coming from someone who specializes in recruiting i mean listen it's a fantastic guess, right um so <laughs> um so yeah i mean yeah i'm right i lead the team at rely Compliant, we've been around for about three years we are a uh, a single AML uh, or anti-money laundering compliance platform, and really, what we do is help financial services businesses streamline and make their AML processes more efficient, while also keeping up with regulation. Which, as you said, Darren, you know, with grey listing and those type of things, is is becoming more and more pertinent. At the moment.
0: yeah, it is, and I, I guess. Um, I'll get straight into the kind of the, the, the nuts and bolts, but um, AML compliance over the years has been probably quite a manual task, although, you know, there, there's automations that have been built in there and what have you. Um, but you guys have really complied, sort of take things to a whole different level when it comes to um, sort of technology and using, you know, various different of tools, and, um, data science and machine learning and AI. Um uh, why, uh, first of all, or is that a silly question? And secondly, how? No, no. Um, if you're allowed to reveal that without giving away too much of your own IP. Sure, I mean, let's let's hype it up with a
1: bit of AI talk. No, um, no more seriously. I think I think so, you know, Reliant Comply was born out of this observation in the industry, as you said, two sides, one being very manual. So like, how can we automate this to uh, make, you know, compliance teams lives much easier? More efficient and also just more accurate and, and that'll come to the data side, but also the, the whole market in the in the kind, kind of compliance space, especially in ML compliance is quite fragmented. So you've got very um, specialist solutions for each part of that process. And I mean, just, just kind of talking broadly, I mean, you know, as a, as a customer signing up at a bank, they ask you for your address, pay slips and ID, right? And that's in South Africa, that's known as FICA. Um, and, and what the, what the institution has to do is, it's called know your customer and actually, you know, verify that your ID is real, verify that your address is real, you know, that you are who you say you are. But there's a whole bunch of other back, back office checks that get, uh, that take place that a lot of customers aren't aware of. You know, institutions have to check that you're not politically exposed or connected, that you're not sanctioned. They also have to conduct their own kind of client risk assessments on you. Um, And all of those processes or all of those, yeah, all of those processes were typically done in a single or single tools or single products. What we've done is we've really come in and, and solidified that all in one solution. Um, and made it and and kind of given you or given our customers a single view of their customers through this AML compliance journey. Um, so that's one part of, of kind of like refining and making more efficient. The other side is very much the data side, right? So, you know, how do you know if someone's sanctioned or, politically exposed, you know, that that refers to multiple sources of data that you've got to look at. Um, And typically, you've got, you used to have kind of just data providers and just platform providers. And once again, we're able, we provide both, and we're also able to work with third party data providers for all these institutions. Um, What we do is we really, we put a machine learning layer underneath all of that. So whether we're ingesting our own data, or ingesting the third party's data, it's about assessing that data to make it more accurate so that um, compliance teams aren't overwhelmed with what we call false positives i e Darren Frank signs up Darren Frank there's probably quite a few of you I'm guessing <laughs> well, not of you particularly, but people with your name. I mean we wouldn't want too many of you, but there's, there's many anyway yeah, I, I don't know I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if, uh, yeah, if, uh, maybe I should say shit, should, I shouldn't say that, but if, if your dad was anything like mine, there might be more of me that i do not know about, but, um, anyway, um, but what I'm trying to say is like, you, you, you don't want, you want to reduce the number of false positives coming in. So that's one side. And then the other, the other part of the business or, or the other part of money, anti-money laundering focuses more on the transactional side. Um, and so you've got one side which is very much know your customer and one side which is very transactional which goes how do we identify money laundering patterns um in these vast kind of volumes of transactions that we're looking at and that's obviously really where a lot of machine learning can come in and we can maybe elaborate on that a bit later
0: yeah just just a couple of things brad because you mentioned sort of kyc which i think a lot of people would be familiar with you know that's uh every time you have to go and do something you have to go and get ky seed as you said opening mm. a bank account getting a loan um i was gonna say signing up for a phone but that's slightly different because that's that's rica yeah. right rica but uh, rica sorry um but then mm. you've got uh kyb side, so Know your business um mm. and i know with, with my other hat on uh with the fintech association you, you guys have kindly provided some services to us where you know we need to ensure that people that are coming into the association don't have some of these political ties you were talking about, or are not on any watch lists, or um, you know, uh, 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 kind of you know, are good to go. Um, yeah. Now yeah. that's kind of becoming even more pertinent now. I mentioned the grey listing, but I think even more with with regulation that's come involved, uh, that's come inside. Um, we look at crypto asset providers. You know, if they are settling to overseas merchants or businesses um there is an element of kyc that has to be done kyb on both sides so both here domestically the remitter of the funds and those internationally who are the recipient of the funds um so what what are the user cases are there for kyb um are we looking at um when i as a business as titc we go and open an account with vodacom for example there is obviously a load of documents that we need to provide is that kyb similarly if i go and engage with a law firm um to represent me for something as as titc i have to provide a load of documentation to the law firm as well is that also kyb
1: yeah i think you've nailed this i think there's a huge we set a huge demand in the market at the moment to get this right and i think the reason is quite simple if you think about what what is what is anti-money laundering compliance trying to achieve it's obviously trying to achieve you know achieve reducing money laundering um and typically as an individual like to money launder through yourself as an entity is not that that easy already possible. I mean you put it into businesses. And so businesses are actually where, where the money laundering and trusts and those sort of layering techniques are where a lot of the money laundering happens, right? Um so what you really want to be doing is focusing on businesses. And where and what and what ultimately um the compliance teams and the regulator are looking for are, you know, are the people running those businesses. Um, what are the source of funds out of that business? Like, is it, is it making funds legally? Um, who are the directors? But most importantly, and this is a really tough one is what they call ultimate beneficial ownership, right? It's who are the shareholders, but who are, like, you know, and that's, that's really where the guys get quite clever with this. So you can have a trust that holds a certain number of shares and then that's hiding behind another trust. And then, and ultimately what you really want to get to is who are the beneficiaries of these funds, of this business, who owns it? And that gets quite complex, right? So what you're ultimately doing is you're running the same KYC, same as KYC, but you're running it on all of these individuals, um, in one go. So I'm sure you know, as when signing up, you know, for a, a law firm, you've got to provide your ID as a director. But if you've got other like, like directors, you've got to provide all their information and you've got to provide your shareholding structure and you've got to provide this. And so typically what we're seeing is on the one side, we're seeing very, um, manual and cumbersome and like like a lot of friction especially from the customer side like i mean for all client side from your perspective i mean you know what a mission it is to do this so from our side we're trying to streamline that for our customers you know create really um solid onboarding experiences that streamline this and automate it as far as reasonably possible Um, but then you also mentioned something about kind of payers and beneficiaries especially cross-border stuff Right. And so there we've got to look at what the same thing as before, sanctions, pett individuals on each side when a payment is actually taking place to see, you know, are they sanctioned? Are they paid? Are these businesses? Because some businesses may be paid some countries may be sanctioned, and you don't want to be doing business with a a business in a sanctioned country. So you've got to be looking at all of these things. And that's really where we're pulling in all of this data, building up client risk assessment scores. And then, obviously, more on the uh, payment side. Actually, looking at um, each entity and seeing where are they, who are the who are the uh, beneficial owners, who are the payers, where are these funds coming from? Um, those things are really important.
0: Um, okay, I've got a question for you. Uh, it might be a bit controversial, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, so, let's use the law firm example. Uh, when I go and um, I go and approach a law firm and say, "Can you act for us as TITC?" They say. Mm-hmm. Sure. Send us all your documents. I send all my documents and I'm pretty sure because I've done this recently. um, They did not ask me to consent to any form of data protection when it comes to um, background checks of directors and shareholders. Now, um, I have nothing to hide. No problem whatsoever. And I can speak for my other sort of directors and shareholders. But is there not an element here that says there's a bit of an invasion to privacy, or maybe there is? But clearly, there's there's legislation around why you have to do this. Is there not a conflict between things like GDPR and um, the Poppy Act here in South Africa? How how do you navigate that? It sounds quite complicated. Well, you've got to be, you've got to be compliant within
1: those within the realms and frameworks of those acts. So, I mean. I'm sure that maybe the law firm that you signed up with must in some way, shape or form in their T's and C's, even if it wasn't very prevalent in their onboarding documentation, state that, you know, they are going to process this data, um, that you consent to allow them to process this data, um, at least with one that we're working with or engage with at the moment, you know, that's very clearly stated in their um, in their onboarding. Documentation. And yeah, I mean, they have to run these checks by regulation. They have to run them. So, I mean, uh, you have to be properly compliant. You have to be within the realms of GDPR. And even in terms of data storage and protection, I mean, you're talking about highly sensitive data. So, I mean, even from our side, I mean, the security that we have to implement on our systems has to be, you know, as, as secure as reasonably possible. Nothing is 100%. You know, I mean, we've seen with massive organizations getting hacked. But um, but we've put all the necessary processes and procedures and systems in place to do that, um, and we have to we have to be compliant. And on top of that, you've also got regulators, which kind of you've got to almost um, maintain this data even post the fact. So even if you offboard a customer, you still have to retain the data for like sometimes up to five years, sometimes up to ten years. It depends on the regulators, um, you know, on their on their regulation effectively. But yeah, I think to your point, it's not that controversial. I think you you will be given consent in some way, shape, or form. You will be acknowledging some terms and conditions uh, somewhere along the way.
0: And then talking on data, the data you provide to your customer, again, let's just use this law firm as an example. Um, Do they just get a a kind of um, uh, green, amber, red? So saying, yeah, fine, Hmm, bit of an issue, or hey, don't touch. Um, Or do you provide them literally a whole report based on that business and the shareholders and the directors and the trusts and what have you?
1: I mean, with our system, I guess it depends on platform to platform. The way our platform works is very much a kind of green, amber red. So what we're, what we're trying to do is typically what you get in, in the space is someone comes on board, there's an issue, it, it creates what is called an alert in our platform, we call that a case. Uh, and now a compliance person or a back office person, or maybe an onboarding specialist has to go look at that alert and go, well, what has gone wrong here? Has there been a mismatch in the ID? Are they sanctioned or are they picked? You know, don't they meet our client risk assessment scores? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, typically we just try, that's why I was saying, we use a little machine and we try reduce the number of alerts and cases that are created because that's not necessary and it overwhelms your team. But yeah, us it's, it's kind of, um, it's either actually just green or red for a lot of the processes. Uh, the only place that that changes is, you know, each company or each business, like a law firm, will have their own client risk assessment methodology, and that's basically looking at all the information you give them, and going based on all of this information. It can be country you come from, it can be the type of business you are, it could be a bunch of things, right? Where is your money coming from? The source of wealth. There you go. We think this person is either low, medium, or high risk, and yep. depending on where you sit on that spectrum, they will then decide whether they want to onboard you as a client or not. Um, and, and an additional layer which is not a regulatory layer but more reputational risk is then looking at adverse media so going you know is darren in in the media for i don't know corruption or money laundering or whatever it may be so that's that's more of an enhanced due diligence process that usually only happens when on your media than high-risk clients but yeah so it depends it really depends but yeah it, it really is we can i mean we typically don't provide a whole report we provide a match score we're like listen It's a 99% match that this person is sanctioned, or there's a 99% match that this person is a pet, but we don't we don't divulge the sources necessarily of the data when we get that.
0: And I suppose just to make it clear, this is all focused on AML. This is not looking at people's social media sort of uh, posts because they may support X or Y. No, this is this is purely focused on legislation around you know AML. Correct. It's not looking at political views, uh, sorts of things. Yeah, yeah. unless they yeah. are
1: like posting on Facebook that they're money laundering, which I don't think they would be. <laughs> Although you never
0: know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you never know these days, all right, some probably made a TikTok video of how they laundered money, but any- anyway. Um, okay, so let's talk world of, of, of fintech um, and. You know, we've got lots of fintech players across Africa um, who, um, you know, provide various different products and services, either to consumer or or B2B. Um, How would you help them with, uh, I get the AML side, and obviously that's very, very important from a regulatory perspective. How do you help them onboard customers? Because I think everyone is looking at how do we streamline this process? You know, I can name a payment service provider here in South Africa that I tried to onboard with, and quite frankly gave up because it was just more hassle than it was worth. Um, how do you help, or how will you help maybe in the future? Maybe this isn't right now, maybe this is you know, rely comply 2.0. Um, how do you think you can help uh, FinTechs onboard customers faster, more accurately, and more seamlessly?
1: Well, I think there are two ways that come to mind kind of immediately. The first one is, just the fact that our you've got a single integration point. So if you do have, let's say we've got, I can talk openly about this. We've got SnapScan as one of our customers, right? They're on board a lot of businesses, merchants, yep. both sole proprietors and and larger businesses. And we've managed to streamline their their onboarding process. You know, kind of saving them a couple. Of, I mean, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but we've saved them a number of days in terms of actual onboarding of businesses um, because it took you know. You know, you would think it would take a couple of hours. It took days to onboard a business. We've actually reduced that significantly. And I think they're, so they've got existing, um, they've got existing, let's call it digital touch points, right? You can go to Snapscans website, right you can sign up with a merchant. And so how we help them there is that we're a single integration point. We've got an API, like most tech businesses, but they're not having to integrate, like, like I mentioned, right at the beginning of the podcast, kind of, you know, you've got usually four or five different services performing all of these checks and balances. We're one single kind of black box middle middle layer if you want to call it that and so it's one integration point that that helps them first and foremost the second part that helps them is that it's highly automated um, so all of these checks and balances once you hit submit so if you go into their site you upload your ID doc you upload your CIPC docs etc cetera, etc cetera, you hit sign up we run all of those checks and balances in kind of under 200 milliseconds. No, it's all done. It's all dusted. It's, we're making all the calls to the various services. And only if there's an issue will you then as a customer experience some sort of delay. So only if your ID has not checked out, et cetera, et cetera. Well, then, and, and going back to the point of false positives, you don't want – that. that's what typically happens, is that you get 95% or plus of the cases that, or alerts that get created are not real. They're just like, actually, no, that Darren Frank is not the sanctioned one making the customer. So that's, that's a one side, right? Then you've got a whole bunch, which is, we're really seeing a lot of, and this is not necessarily a rely complier 2.0, but this is on our roadmap to roll out in the first quarter of next year, is that we're building a very, um, very sort of flexible and customizable front end for businesses that don't have these digital touch points, which is a lot. You'll be surprised that don't have like websites where they're onboarding merchants, you know, they're doing stuff. You know, law firm's great. I mean, did you, did you sign up via a website for your law firm? I doubt it was probably via email. Yeah. Probably email the, probably email the yeah. person, right? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So why do that? Like, let's send, you know, a link that's highly secure, correctly branded, all those sorts of things. Allow that customer to come on, onboard themselves through the process. You know, it gets a really, the use cases get really like complex, but fun in a way because as a business, you need to invite another director to fill in their details. So as opposed to emailing all the shareholders and going, Hey guys, please send me all your CFPC. You just invite them. I mean, this is the way we envision it. you know, you just invite them. They then come fill in their details. And once it's done, the process is done. So we're trying to re really streamline that entire onboarding process by giving businesses that don't have these digital touch points, the ability to create them and brand them
0: obviously within
1: limitations, uh, so that they can make the customer onboarding
0: experience better and faster. Sorry, I was smiling there because you used the word fun and then you were like, oh, we can do <laughs> Well,
1: fun, the challenges are fun. Not, not, not just... for a fun. Yeah. The challenges are fun. The challenges of solving these weird,
0: like outlying use cases are fun. But uh, the actual process of onboarding is not fun. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's the fun side of AML for you. Right? <laughs> that's so as fun funny. as it gets. That's as fun as it gets. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, jokes aside, jokes aside, because this is a serious topic. I think, you know, in, enabling any business who you know perhaps has you know digital infrastructure so a law firm you know most of them are, are highly digitized but when it comes to the onboarding you know you still get sent through a pdf and it's a pain in the backside to start filling it in and then you sign it and then you have to go and send it to someone else and they sign it. You might use, you know, an e-signature site, but then you've got to upload it. Just to have a link that you can send to someone and go, hey, listen, just fill in the blank or, you know, fill in the form effectively um, is so much easier. I can think of hundreds of user, ca- thousands of user cases of companies that require this. Um, they may not necessarily have to conform with AML regulations because of the type of company they are or the business they service. But as good yeah. practice... To be able to onboard a customer, even if it's silly things like I need to know the billing address of the customer, I need to know their VAT number, I need to know their CIPC document, and I really should have a a copy of their CIPC document because that's kind of good practice. Just to be able to have that, when I think about it, um, you know, I I think ticks a number of boxes. You mentioned earlier in terms of the the balances and the checks that you make, and it's obviously based on various different criteria that, um, you know, the customer would need to put in. Um, how does that transcend to other markets in other geographies that perhaps aren't as sort of advanced in terms of the the, the, the data that's available? They don't all have the equivalent of CIPC that we have here or national ID numbers. Um, How does that work? And again, a follow-up question, so you can answer them both at the same time. Um, If I'm not a South African resident and I don't have an ID number, but I have a passport number... Does that further complicate things as well? And how do you navigate that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's a really, really good question. So I'll look at it from one, one from a regulation point of view and then one from another data point of view. So some jurisdictions may have regulation that's lighter than ours and, and easier. That is the configurability kind of thing from a platform perspective for us, right? We just configure the platform to whichever jurisdiction you operate in. The data side is a really, really interesting one because as you said, like even in South Africa, let's take a look at it this way. There is no register for um shareholders and companies. CRPC is busy doing that now. CRPC is busy yeah. saying, listen, you guys need to submit. And same with trusts, right? The master's office is now saying that all trustees and beneficiaries need to have, you know, by regulation, you know, IDs uploaded, kept on file, et cetera. So when you don't have these single sources, you're right. I guess, you know, most countries we operate in, it is much harder in sub-Saharan Africa, although we have nailed a few of these markets, is... um is that they, they do have central sources. Otherwise you've got to be plugging into multiple government sources and often those can be done. Um, the other thing we do is we just partner with like really a lot of third party data providers. right? Like credit theory is already good. They cash and hold a lot of data. Um, they've got fast amounts of it. And I'm, I'm talking really more around the less developed countries here. You know, Europe is very well covered. Southeast Asia, those places. I mean, Russia doesn't want to be covered, so they leave that aside. America is, is well covered. So you're really just talking more about really more developing countries. Um but what we do is we actually just integrate with multiple data sources to make up basically a holistic view of this customer. Um where it gets tricky um or trickier is stuff like being politically exposed. So that's why I said in the beginning, you've got businesses that are typically platform businesses and businesses that are data businesses. And some of the incumbent data businesses actually have like 600 researchers sitting at desks going, who is J- Jacob his wife? Who is his cousin? Who is this? And like actually building out those lists day by day by day by day. I mean, we use, I think, slightly more sophisticated methods that give, I would guess very much similar coverage. But, um, but yeah, it's a great question. And like that, that is a battle, right? That's always going to be a battle.
0: And I suppose off the back of that, um, you know, if I'm trying to onboard a new customer in, uh, I'm not going to mention a kind a country, right? Doesn't really matter where sure. it is. Um, and their data records or that um, sophistication of their data by country isn't necessarily there. Um, how would you be sure or what balances and checks would you be able to do to make sure that individual shareholder isn't sanctioned isn't part of you know any other sort of uh, areas that you look at um does that then take a bit more time because you have to manually go and check that or do you raise that as a flag and go hey listen this is a flag you as a customer need to go and investigate this more
1: yeah i think you know from a sanctions and PEP data perspective, the data is pretty rigorous, right? I mean, there are multiple sanctions lists. We're integrated with most of the, with all of the major ones. Um, From a PEP perspective, as I mentioned, as you know, each business, as in each AMO provider has got their own level of coverage in terms of PEP and some focus more on Europe. As I said, we've got quite broad coverage. Where it really gets tricky is more like the identity verification, address verification piece, because you don't have those integrations with central sources, uh, like maybe the equivalent of a Department of Home Affairs and those sorts of things. And that's when you've just actually got to, they will have some records, but typically you will find this data does exist. You've just got to triangulate it between kind of multiple sources. And so that's what we do. That's how we help our customers, right? We've integrated with multiple partners around the world to ensure that we can triangulate data from these areas. And give like a a higher
0: degree of confidence that it is accurate okay i i, I want to sort of get your crystal ball out if you can your aml crystal ball um which I'm- oh, how exciting <laughs> that's, that's that's, I mean, you know. Anyway. um and we, we look at some of these new technologies that are coming out let's specifically talk about we we mentioned crypto a little bit but let's talk about blockchain um once a customer once a business sorry um, has been KYB'd in terms of, okay, I've now TITC, we've engaged with this law firm, they've run the checks through, like, imply, we've got the green light. Um, can that then be set on record on a, on a blockchain, or it doesn't have to be a blockchain on your database, so when company B, I go to um, a bank and I want to open up a new bank account and they run a check and you would want to go, hey, you know these guys green light, you know, we've got other customers that are using them can that be done or does regulation require that each time a um a a merchant or each time a business on boards a new customer they have to go through those checks every single time because obviously things change what does the future look like in your world and your very fun world of aml Um, um and do you think the likes of blockchain you know can um help streamline things and can make things more accurate because obviously you know it's irrefutable the the the, you know document sorry chains on the blockchain um by its Mm. very nature what's your view there
1: i mean listen i'm not a blockchain expert let me just start by saying that but in theory the idea of centralized data or shared data is really nice um in practice, it can get difficult to your point. So, so what stops that at the moment is reg- is reg- is basically some of the regulation you pointed out into both, both in terms of GDPR and POP. So there's a, there's a privacy data issue, number one, like I as business A cannot share your data with business B when you have not consented for that business B to have your data, right? As simple as that. Um, there's a regulatory, uh, there's a regulatory requirement as well as you mentioned where as an accountable institution, you, the regulation states that you may, not hand off or kind of outsource your compliance or AML compliance regulation, right? So you can have tools and platforms like us, but we couldn't go and actually work the alerts as a business for you. You would have to do that. You have to be, you cannot, you cannot have a third party looking after your, your actual compliance function, if that makes sense. So that's what the regulation is. Um, where I see the future of this becoming really a lot more powerful, is more, is less on the KYC side or KYC side and more on the kind of transaction monitoring side. So maybe to, maybe just give a quick like, definition of transaction monitoring. It basically, is looking at a huge volume of historic transactions to identify patterns of money laundering. Like there's fast inflows and outflows of money. Uh, this product is being used for a while and it shouldn't be, you know, there's a bunch of rules and a bunch of patterns that can be picked up. Now, what happens is, Each financial institution, this is more applicable to transactional institutions like banks that are processing huge volumes of transactions. Um, they have to report these transactions up to the regulator. They don't have to take action on them, but they have to, um, they have to report them. It's not the institution's responsibility to investigate as the regulators, right? So there's a, there's a reporting requirement Mm -hmm. that's required and they've got a certain time frame in which they need to submit these reports in order to be, to be, um, investing in and that's we can go to gray listing and why we well i kind of think it's ineffective later on but um but now if you've got all of these financial institutions that are like submitting all of these reports across all of these transactions a really good use case or scenario of this like looking into the future would be to like actually have a more shared kind of view either across those institutions but like all banks are working together to kind of look at transactions between all of them and their institutions, as opposed to like reporting any silos up to a single regulator who, to be quite honest, doesn't have the capacity or capability to look at them holistically. Alternatively, the regulators need to get up to speed and go, amazing, we've got like 17 banks get in this reports. Like how do we identify the patterns across all of these transactions, not just a single bank's transactions? So I think that's where the use case when you go, when you start talking about blockchain and like yeah, I mean, in theory, from a KYC and KYB side, of course, you know, it's a, it's a decentralized database, you know, <laughs> um, so if you can have that level of verification, sure, but I guess it's, there's more regulatory constraints there than practical constraints. My CTO will probably watch this and kill me and say, you're wrong, but that's I think.
0: <laughs> but I, I think you can see from, um, uh, you know, a digital identity, having a verified digital yeah. identity is... As an individual, yeah. it makes a hell of a lot of sense, right? Because it means I like, can yeah. go up to Photocorp, MTN, me, whoever, and go, "Hey, this is me. Scan my mm-hmm. you know, scan my code, and you know who I am." and I don't have to mm-hmm. go through all those checks and balances. Mm-hmm. I guess for a, for a, for a business though, um, especially for a larger business with more complex structures, where they've got you know different shareholders, they've got different trusts, mm-hmm. they've got different, you know ownership. The director so- gets. Uh...
1: You're an you're A, you're CEO of an AI business, and your board fires you without any warning. You know, there are those type of things. Now you've got to, now you've got to remove yourself from the blockchain because you're no longer the CEO or director. <laughs> then yeah. they beg you to come back two days later. Now you've got to get added back on again. So You know, uh, you
0: know what? It's, it's Monday, the 20th of November. I'm not sure whether Sam is CEO or he's on the board or he's. I, mean, None of, I don't think he you knows i don't think anyone knows no, you know what well, i'm I, we're digressing a little bit here but i, no, I just think cool. this is one big pr stunt hey um because how you can make you know that sort of noise in a market um and i would be interested in what microsoft shares do when uh, the market opens in a few hours mm. time but, uh, anyway I
1: think, I think one thing i've learned being in this space is that um don't underestimate the. The lack of governance in any of these big tech companies. We've seen it in Uber. We've seen it in WeWork. We've seen it in FTX. Which, I mean, literally like approving payments on Slack. Like governance is not. Uh, yeah. And I'm not even a compliance. Look, I'm not one of those people. Yeah, uh, like,
0: yeah, this yeah. has happened for years, right? I remember um, HP bought a company in the UK. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company, um, and they uncovered like a year later that there wasn't anywhere near the kind of uh, revenues or profitability or money in the business that there was. I'm going, surely... Check a bank statement. ...doesn't due diligence, right? Surely. Um, Anyway... Surely uh, soft bank do. Surely sequoia (laughs) do. No. No. It doesn't work that way. On that note, so um, Brad, we've spoken about some of the future of um sort of where aml could go to or compliance can go to um we did touch on crypto but maybe we should give it a little bit more airtime because it is quite a complex area um we've got legislation coming in here in south africa we've got countries other countries in africa that are trialing cbdc's we've got other countries that are um you know banning crypto you know Mm. trading full on you know egypt you know you Crypto is just completely disallowed, even though mm-hmm. I think they have the highest number of crypto traders globally, which mm-hmm. is bizarre. Anyway, um, where, where, does, um, where does the future sit for you guys in the world of AML and compliance um, with crypto, which by its very nature should be decentralized? Um, we've then got DeFi, um, which is kind of the next sort of iteration of financial services, you know, completely decentralized. Um, yeah. That seems to be very, very complicated, given by its pure definition, this is sitting outside of the formal formal financial services sort of industry. Um, how on earth do regulators regulate this when it 's been designed not to be regulated? Hmm. How do these companies ensure that they can 't be charged by the S e c for aml money laundering um, for you know financing terrorism et cetera, etc? Cetera? Um, it seems to be that, or it seems to me as a layman, that this is a, the world of um, AML is about to get a hell of a lot more complicated um, mm-hmm. when these new sort of nodes and DeFi platforms and what have you start becoming mainstream, which they may or may may not. I'm not, not sure <laughs> that they will. But what, what's your view? Um, there's an expert in this space on how that's going to change the landscape.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is such a as you said, this is a very deep, complicated topic, which we could spend many hours on. I mean, my my kind of top line view is that there's nothing wrong with crypto, right? I mean, there's there's absolutely none, nothing wrong with an alternative base of let's call currency or being able to transact. I think the the appeal of it of it was that um, you know, no one knows, you know, who the crypto belongs to and that kind of anonymous anonymous kind of um trait that crypto tends to have is very appealing for a lot of people. But why is it appealing is what you've got to ask yourself, right? And it's typically appealing because you're trying to evade tax or you, maybe you have a certain philosophy that the government should know what you own or have. And some of these things may have merit and some of I them, mean, not tax evasion, but other things and and money laundering, right? And so I think regu- in some way, shape or form, like the regulation of crypto is a good thing. Like, I think we see this with all technologies that are very cutting edge that are used for these sorts of like applications. There's a phase where it goes really, really quickly and then unfortunately it needs to be regulated to a point, um, in order for it to be adopted at mass and give people the security and comfort that they're dealing with. Otherwise you end up with stuff like FTX and those sorts of things, right? So, um if you've got nothing to hide I mean you're you're looking for an alternative way to transact that's what you're looking for right you don't you don't want to use money you don't want to use cash you don't want to use you don't want to be beholden or believe that maybe a central reserve should dictate how much your dollar or rand is worth and that's all okay then you invest in crypto but unfortunately the, the rules of the world still apply you still have to pay your taxes and do that sort of thing so I mean, there's guys that specialize, a company companies that specialize in what we call like on chain transaction analysis, like Chainalysis. I mean, I'll call them out. They're a brilliant company. We don't want to get into that space because they've just got it so well covered and they really are experts in it. Um, but from the KYC, KYB side, I think you've got to look at it like your, any other business. You're signing up for effectively a financial service because that's what crypto is. Crypto is effectively in some way, shape, or form, whether it it's decentralized. Well, not. It is a financial service. So I think there is, needs to be, there will be a partnership. And I mean, I think you, you saw it sort of, um, FinTech Summit last year, or from, FinTech from Africa, I can't remember, sorry, last year, where it was very much like mentioned um, around the regulators working with crypto. And that's what it is. It's about working together because, let's be honest, compliance and regulation, they're not great for business. Like, <laughs> I mean, I'm going to call a spade a spade. They slow things down. They're often not logical. Like, no, it's true. It's true, though, Darren. Like, you know, it's some of it's a lot of bureaucracy. It doesn't actually have a, an effect on, on, um, on the outcome. And so I think if you find a good balance between the two, it, it'll work well. They've got to work together because ultimately, like, regulators are seeing crypto as bad, crypto seen is seeing regulation as bad. So how do you find a middle ground? Um, because unfortunately, the truth of the matter is, when you start breaking it down to, like, the real impact, the real impact isn't like, okay, cool, I'm taking money offshore or I'm evading some tax. The real use cases or the real impact of is, you know, uh, Russia arming its army with, you know, freaking weapons to attack another country or vice versa or extremists, uh, you know, extremists, whatever it may be, like, a, you know, arms dealing, terrorism, uh, human trafficking. Those are the real
0: impacts exactly. at the end of the day. No, they certainly are. Um, I, I just have a thought as you were talking about that, and um, many many of you know if you've been listening to this that um, one of the supermarket chains in South Africa now accepts cryptocurrency as a form of payment, which personally I just don't get. Um, but are you going to have to now be KYC to shop in a in a in a, uh, a supermarket? I mean, uh, no, it'll be the wallet provider. Right, the the man, wallet will.
1: The <laughs> It's like, saying, it's like saying if you go spend money, if you've got a credit card do you yeah. and you go spend in the retail shop, because that, that shop accepts credit card, do they have to KYC you? No. The credit card company, or actually the bank, has actually KYC'd you. And the same thing will happen here if you sign up for Luna or any of them and you've got a wallet with them. Um, they've already had to go through the process of doing that. So they are the accountable institution,
0: not yeah. not the, the retailer. Not the retailer, because... Yeah, that wouldn't be a nice experience, hey, having to get KYC'd every time you want to do No, definitely not. Although, like, if you just, want to pay in crypto, yeah. maybe you
1: deserve it, I guess.
0: Yeah, 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 well, yeah, uh, I agree. Um, uh, Brad, listen, thank you. I've I've really enjoyed this conversation. Um, I'm not going to ask you to stand up because I know you're wearing your socks and sandals underneath your T-shirt, so uh, I wouldn't want to dispel too many myths about the fun side of AML, um, but all jokes aside, this is a really, really, really serious topic, and I think, you know, had these checks and balances and, and companies like comply been taken more seriously... Um, you know, in previous years, maybe South Africa would have found itself on, on, on a grey list, um, which I know it's battling, obviously, to get off and there's task teams and they're doing some amazing work. But, um, you know, don't underestimate the importance of companies in, in the reg tech space who are not only trying to make things more seamless, um, more um, uh, compliant, but are playing such a pivotal role in you know, ensuring countries like South Africa and, and other countries in, in Africa are. Um, perceived and have the right sort of uh, controls in place to be able to conduct business on an international stage. So, um, Brad, thank you. I've, I've really enjoyed the time. I know we can wax lyrical for hours and we'll do some sure, beer um, Is there any sort of last words? Um, where can people find you and you guys and your team who I've had the, the pleasure of meeting as well? And they're all very cool, by the way. Very cool. <laughs> Thanks, Darren. Yeah, well,
1: I appreciate you having us. And like, yeah, we could get into that conversation, but nice to know that some of the work we're doing is hopefully having an impact. I think there's uh, a larger s- systematic issue, but we won't get into that right now. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, people can find us at um and, yeah, reach out to us there. Um, always happy to help. We're working with a number of large um, financial services institutions in South Africa, the U- UK, Switzerland, uh, and, and Europe. Um, and we also work with Fast Scaling Fintechs uh, to help them um, kind of get their compliance or ML compliance in place as well.
0: Brad, listen, thanks so much. Um, don't you. Your pipe and your smoke, and uh, you can go and sit back in your, you know, nineteen twenties armchair. <laughs> and, uh, I wish it was sit, like sit, that. Sit I think let's...
1: you know. I think you know. Having worked and run in multiple startups, there is no pipe and armchair. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but we'll get there one day. It's what we aspire to, right? It's what we aspire to at some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. Thank you so much again. Um, Appreciate your time. And, uh, I'll see you in Cape Town soon. Definitely. My thanks again, Darren. Cheers.